Welcome back to the 150K Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Graham, where we help take your dreams to six figures and beyond. Today, I have with me Tony Watley of 365 Driven, author of Side Hustle Millionaire. Um, Tony, first and foremost, thank you for coming on my show. I've been following you, I want to say, for about a year now um, and just watching a lot of the different things you've been doing. But for people that don't know you, um, give us a little bit of your background and just kind of you know where you've gotten to at this point. Man, I'll keep this one short. I'd, I'd say that I grew up with two hardworking parents, didn't have much money, figured out how to do a lot of things on my own. I put myself through engineering school, working full-time construction and waiting tables. After I got out and I started working in those engineering salary jobs, I just realized that that wasn't where I wanted to be. So I started creating automotive performance-based businesses as a side business. Those grew to multiple seven-figure business. And I ultimately sold those for millions at the age of 34. So Back that was back in 2007, and started a couple more businesses since then, and really maintained that corporate job. I was working for about 25 years in oil and gas, high level, managing hundreds of millions of dollars, and just decided in 2015 that I'd had enough of the corporate games and the political stuff that was going on in this those ranks. Decided to leave corporate and just really pursue entrepreneurship full time by helping people start, scale, and exit businesses, and that's what I love to do. No, that's awesome. Um, and a lot of people that listen to this uh, podcast, and I was reading one of your articles, it's called the 150K Podcast because a couple of years ago, I started breaking the 100K level and I wanted to help people and, you know, help them get past that level. So for people that are like in the beginning stages of that, maybe they're still in corporate America, what do you recommend? And I know you're the author of Side Hustle Millionaire, but how do they start going from like their dream to, you know, actually implementing it and actually making it into something that they can maybe exit corporate America with? I think that a lot of people in corporate America really undervalue the things that they can be learning if they would just pay attention at their current jobs. I think there's a lot of things that big corporations, especially the ones that have been established for several decades, they do extremely well. There's a lot of things they do really bad, but there's a lot of things they do extremely well. Otherwise, they wouldn't be so successful for such a long period of time. And I think that many people take that for granted and they don't really pay attention and take those mental notes on how do the things that they learn in that job that they could take with them and apply outside for their own businesses. You know, for example, my very first job at age 15 was McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And most people would look at that and go, oh, that's a crappy minimum wage job, flipping burgers, frying French fries, like, oh, what a terrible job wearing paper hats and a polyester outfit <laughs> with a name tag, right? But I was actually that kid, even back then, paying attention to all the processes and systems and how-tos and all the things that they did to become efficient because I knew that they were the number one franchise business model in the world. So here I am working at a fast food restaurant. Yeah, it's low pay. Yes. But what are the things I can learn while I'm here? What are the things I can get good at while I'm here that may help me at my future, future career or the businesses that I may create later in life? And that's the thing that I think most people just kind of don't take those notes. They begrudgingly go to those jobs and they just hate what they're doing, but they're not really paying attention to what things that they could be learning from it. Yeah, no, I, I found because like I'm still in corporate America and I do sales and I found that I've used the past 15 years to kind of learn that game, learn to understand the processes, the systems that they do. So, no, I agree with you 100% there. Um, so with that in mind, once they learn like some of the processes at all, do you what would you recommend? Like say maybe they have a do you, would they should they go with their skill set with some that they're really good at or like. And I guess I'm trying to formulate this in the best way I can think of like, I did it with sales because I know sales and I can teach sales and I understand that, you know, some people are really good at processes and stuff like that. What was it that 
made you step out away from the corporate world? When did you feel you were ready to do that? I guess that's the best question I was trying to ask. That's a common question that I was asked even back when I was running that business and working corporate is that you're making more from your side businesses. Why don't you quit and just go do that full time? And the reason was because I was actually number one in my niche, uh, General Motors performance cars. We had the number one business in that category. And I had the, the right people in place. I had the processes and systems that were able to create the business that I didn't have to be there on a day-to-day -day basis. So therefore, whether I work 15 minutes a day or eight hours a day, it wasn't going to increase the top line revenue or the profit. It actually would hurt the profit because I would be an added expense. So there's certain reasons that you could leave or stay where you're at. But for me, I think where most people really don't think about is what I call the freedom number. It's the number that you need to make to be able to cover all your bills and expenses on a monthly basis. Most people greatly overestimate what that value is because I get it. I'm a business coach. People come to me and I say, hey, let's set some financial goals. And I said, what's a financial goal for you? And they, I tell you that nine times out of 10, they always talk about what their salary is or what they're currently making. Like that becomes their goal. I said, is that really your goal? Is that, is that all you think that you're worth is your current salary or currently hourly rate? Is that all you think you can achieve? Is that what society has convinced you so much that that's all you can do? And they start to realize like, why do I believe that that's my limitation? And when we start to look at the numbers, I mean, even if you're making 150,000 a year, like your, your show, your podcast here, that's probably not even what your expenses are. You probably have a lot less money to make your expenses. You know, you may, may only mean like 60,000 a year to actually pay all your bills and actually have that comfort of life. You might not have as much of fancy things, but you could actually be free if you just made 60,000 a year. So I always challenge people and don't think about replacing your salary. Just think about getting to that number where all your bills are paid first. That's the real goal. That's the freedom number. Because once you cross into that mark and you're consistently making that or a little bit above, you actually have the option to quit your job and actually go pursue that side hustle as a full-time business. So you just got to know what that freedom number is. And I'll tell you that most people just overestimate it and they need to really think about that. Yeah. When I think people get comfortable, like I know with me, it's really easy for me. I have my sales job down. I can do that. And I decided I wanted to start helping people, but like I, I'm, I'm, I'll admit it. I'm still comfortable with that number, but the ability to make more I could do. It's just, I think getting to that point where I want to launch myself into doing it. And I think there's a risk factor involved that a lot of people kind of shy away from because of the unknown, not having the thing to fall back on. Um, what do you teach like for that, like for mindset wise and stuff with getting past that block? I think I have a, a skewed maybe perception around risk or fear tolerance. I have really high, high tolerance for fear. And as a kid, I was a daredevil. I was always the one on skateboards or jumping my bicycle off the biggest ramps and playing combat, you know, full contact sports and martial arts. I've always been addicted to adrenaline and just the energy and the violence, right? So I was okay with that kind of stuff. So I, maybe I'm a better fit for entrepreneurship for a lot of people who are risk averse. Now, that being said, you could be taught because I always grew up thinking that life was always uncertain anyways. And most people walk around, especially nowadays in the last two years, especially everybody's got this fear about them. They're just living in fear. They're just always worried about something. Oh, I think I'm going to die. I got to wear this mask and all this nonsense. They're just living in pure cortisol, which is a, you know, a, a, a chemical released in your body that's created by fear. Living in cortisol 24 seven is a terrible way to live. Yeah. And you got to think about this is that we're all going to die. Every single one of us. 
It's inevitable. So why are you so afraid of dying? It's just going to happen no matter what you do. So push that aside and realize that that's going to come sooner or later and start thinking about what are the things that you can do now to go just be more courageous or be more brave about pursuing the things that you want to have. And you said that the people were worried about things. That's true. And it's because they've not yet learned how to embrace uncertainty. So I always think about the things that I don't know, the things that are coming up, the thing about my future. I'm excited about this. Like if you're not evolving, I think that that's where the problem becomes, Joe. I think that if people are not investing in themselves, become more knowledgeable, more skillful, more fit, things like you're doing things to really help your personal development. If you're not doing any of that in your life, then of course you're not going to be really looking forward to the uncertainty because you're not doing the right things that are getting you to a different level or a better place to be. So if you know that you're always improving, you don't know how much you're going to improve in two years or three years or five years. Kind of gets exciting when you start to see the results today of the things that you did yesterday, right? So you got to get in that habit of just improving yourself, your businesses, your finances, your relationships, your mindset. And then it becomes like this open book on your future and you go, wow, I can't wait to get excited about uncertainty. So there's the shift that I think that you need to go through. Yeah. And I, I've seen that happen. So like I said, for years, I hid in corporate America. I treated it like it was my own business and I just could sell and I can make whatever money I wanted. And now that I've been doing like the self-help improvements, the podcast, going to events and just like leveling up and expanding my sphere of influence or people that I'm with, it seemed to have helped me get past that whether it's you want to call it imposter syndrome or you want to call it fear of lack to the point of, no, now I can actually go do that. But I, I agree with you. It's like a process of going through that because a lot of people grew up in like, I grew up in the Midwest where you're supposed to go to work for a company, do all these things. And like, now I'm breaking that mold, but it's just still trying to get past that whole process. It's really hard to get through that. It's things that we grew up with. We believe that go get an education, get good grades and get a steady job and build a house and have a family and have a white picket. Like people that have always been painting this scenario of perfection into your mind through all of your formative years, all your teenage years, all your college years. And so you're convinced that if I go check the boxes and do all these things that they recommended I do, then I'll achieve success. That's what it is with them is because they've defined success for you maybe because they couldn't achieve all those things themselves. So they see it as really hard. So they think, hey, if I just give Joe all these challenges and he goes and does most of them, he's going to be successful. But that's such a limiting belief because you find that a lot of times people are working in careers or pursuing degrees and things that they don't even have a lot of passion for. It's because they're trying to fulfill some prophecy or for some legacy in their family. Maybe your grandfather was an attorney and your dad was an attorney. So therefore you should go be an attorney because it's the family thing to do. And you don't want to let your family down. So you go pursue those kind of things, knowing that you'd rather be a musician, right? Mm -hmm. So we find a lot of times people get into a compensation level at their corporate careers that is comfortable. Like you're saying, they're earning good money, but they're not doing what they truly have passion for. And they're really just getting paid just enough to hang around and just keep doing the things that they're doing. And they're just going to meander through life. And 65 occurs and they realize like, man, I just spent my entire career doing something that, yeah, it paid well. I had a comfortable life, but I wasn't happy doing it. And I know that I would have had a lot more fun doing these other things and probably been far more successful because you got lined up with your passions. Yeah. And that's where where I, I hit. So like I said, I've been in the corporate world and I was comfortable, but I'm like, 
I want to help other people. I want other people to be able to take their kids to Disney or go on the trips or do the different stuff. And I think for me, it was just getting past that point of, okay, cool. I know I can make money. Great. I can go and teach people how to do this. Great. What do I want to do with my life? And that's where I've started to make this whole change. And I'm only like nine months in. So I'm learning to not put the cart before the horse as to speak. So I'm building my brand. I'm reaching out to people. I'm, I'm trying to not overdo it too much. So how do you, do you even subscribe to the work-life balance or how do you look at that aspect of life? Cause I hear so many different people talk different ways on that. I don't think there's a really a perfect way to describe work-life balance. I think that is different for everybody and that's okay. I think that some people are really happy being productive and doing the work. I think just people enjoy doing that. Now, if you're having to do it or you're forced to do that, then there's definitely an imbalance because you're, again, you're doing things that are outside of your alignment where you really want to be doing. Maybe you want to work one hour a day, but you're working 16 hours a day. See, so that's not really a good balance for you. For you. It's just, you're being forced to do that. You're, you're feeling like you're that hamster on the treadmill kind of doing the things that are just necessary. It's required. Don't have enough people to do these things for me. Somebody's got to do it. Nobody's as good as me. I have to do it myself. Like all these mental things that are just really blocking you. And that's what we fall into. But no, work-life balance to me is, is it's an individual thing. Just like I think about, especially in the personal development space, the, the, the miracle morning, the morning routines, right? You hear this all the time. Like, so let's say like you're, you're struggling with your situation in life and you, you find these people and are like, oh, you got to have a miracle morning. You got to do these routines. You got to get up at 4.30 in the morning and then you got to meditate. Then you got to write your journal and then you got to yoga and then you got to go do your workouts. And they're, they're telling you like this thing and you're like, you're, you're taking notes like, man, I'm not doing any of this stuff. Therefore, that's why I'm not successful. That's why I can't get where I want to be. I have to go do these things. And so you go kill yourself trying to do all this stuff and you still end up with the same result and you're wondering why. And it's Again, it goes back to individual differences because here's the thing I think about. I'm a morning person. I like to get up at 4.30 and I'm wide awake and my mind is on fire at 4.30 in the morning. I'm ready to go do things creative and write content, do videos, plan business, anything with numbers and math. Like I can do that stuff usually between 5 a.m. to about 11 a.m. That's like the sweet spot for me. Like for mentally, I'm on fire. So why would I go do yoga? Why would I go to the gym at that time? Why would I do anything physical or read books instead of doing the things that I'm in a creative zone? So I think that when you start to realize what is your creative zone, what part of the day are you most creative? What I say is guard that time and do creative work during that time slot. And then when you're not in your creative zone and you're kind of brain dead or foggy, go get physical, go lift the gym, go do the things that are outside and use the balance, you know, just understand who you are, where you are, why you are. Yeah, no, and, and I do that. So like I tried doing the morning thing and I'm not a morning person like that. So like I was trying to do the workouts and all this stuff. Cause again, when you first start, you think, oh, I got to follow this person or that person. Mm -hmm. And I just found out afternoon workouts work great for me. In the morning, I listen to a podcast to get set up. I do my business. I do my side business stuff. And then I do, like you said, I maybe will do a walk in the evening or something, but it's creating that life that works for you. Cause really, mm -hmm. I think most entrepreneurs, that's if you talk to them, the ones I have, have said, really, they want freedom. You know, the money is great. We want to make as much money as possible. And that's different for everybody. But it's really we want to have the ability to do what we want to do when we want to do it. True. Time freedom is the most valuable thing that anybody will ever have. And you'll think that you have freedom when you get to a certain point of income. And I would say 
at basis of your show name, probably around 120,000. That's what I've seen in corporate when I was hiring people at that level. They would promote themselves to get to that level. They start to slack off around 120,000 here, 10,000 a month. They get com comfortable. They got a new house and new pickup trucks and toys. They can take a couple of vacations and they just kind of cruise control in that zone for the next 15, 20 years. And they're not really making a whole lot other than the, uh, you know, inflation type raises and these little title raises that may get along the way, but they're not going to jump up into the next category of the 250 to 300 to $400,000 ranges because they got complacent. The things that they did, the work that they put in, the name they built for themselves to get to that 150 mark is not going to get you to the other stuff. And a lot of times when you turn off the flame and you get complacent, you're not going to keep climbing. The people that make it to CEO are the ones that kept sticking their neck out, taking the risks, making a name for themselves, betting on themselves, knowing that it could all fall down like a house of cards and then to go to go find a job. But middle management in America is terrible. That's the worst place to be because nobody wants to rock the boat. Nobody wants to make a name for themselves. They just want to do status quo, keep their fat paycheck coming in and just try to make everybody happy instead of doing the things that are making things more money or doing what's right. Yeah. No, and, and it's kind of funny you said that. So like I said, I hit 100, then I hit 150. And then like I've been doing more and starting my side hustle stuff and all. And then this last year I hit 200. It's just like it's been progressive. But like you said, I'm making those risks. I'm like stepping out and trying new things and failing forward and doing that. Yeah, I would hate like my company tries to get me to be a manager. They know I don't want to be a manager for them because I don't want to be stuck in a box or a cube. That would just drive me nuts. Yeah. So it's nowhere do you want to fit in. That's that's true. And a lot of times people will get promoted into their level of incompetence. And it's not because they're not capable of doing the job. It's just not really perfect for that job. So like you look at sales, a lot of times business owners make the huge mistake of looking at their sales team and they go, hey, that person is crushing sales. We should make them the sales manager. That person may not want to be the manager. They may not even have the type of personality that wants to coach and mentor and educate and inspire people to do things. They just want to be a sole person that's like this mercenary that's out there crushing it on the sales and they're really good at it. So you got to make sure that you don't promote people just because they're good at their supporting roles. They have to really raise their hand and tell you, hey, I want to be a manager. I want to lead, be a leader. I want to be a CEO. I'm investing in that knowledge. I'm reading books. I'm taking courses to become a better leader. So you'll find that the people that truly want to be leaders actually invest that time and that money and that just to go do those kind of things. Yeah. And I think that's the key because I've been in so many different sales organizations where they'll promote that person and that person's just not happy because it's not really what they're passionate about doing. Yeah. It's managing people. It's managing personalities. It's dealing with excuses and all these other things that people just don't want to have to do with. Yeah, no, it's yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you there. So I know you do like public speaking and you do events and stuff like that. You have an event coming up in is it in May? Is that correct? Yeah, May 19th through 22. We're actually doing an international event. It'll be in Playa del Carmen, Mexico this year. Nice. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, our, our events are basically getaways for entrepreneurs. We've done four events now and they're small. We keep them purposely small, less than 50 people, because we want to make sure that we build these connections. I'm a community builder. I want to make sure I facilitate good bonds and connections between the speakers and the guests and all the attendees. And they do, they become like small families that the, the last three events we've done, it's cool to see the, the connections and the collaborations and joint ventures and things like that, that just kind of spin off of those things. Because when you have 12 meals with people and you spend three days with them and you do physical things and challenges and hikes and 
listen to speakers. It's like all these different things that you're immersed into. You build good bonds with those people. And that's what I like to do. It's not about me. A lot of times people put these events on and they're, it's all about them. They just want to make themselves the top of the pyramid and it's ego and things like that. Like this never been about that for me. I mean, even the, the largest communities I've built, 300,000 registered members. I built another one, 280,000 registered members. It was never about me. They knew who owned it, but I was embedded as a servant leader and just participating just like them. So I would facilitate the strong bonds and communication links between each and every member, not about me. It's about them. I want them to become best friends. So they all come back and hang out where they met. Yeah, no. And I love that. Like I've been to a few events. Um, I went to one in Montana for George Bryan. I think you know him as well. Um, and it, it's, it's so different when you're at the right event. And, and that's something I like about you just seeing like you interact on Facebook, interact throughout. You're very genuine and authentic. And I appreciate that. Like I read people for a living. That's my job. And like you can tell who it's when they're really trying to help people and when it's about them and what they want to do. So, yeah, no, but that's cool. So you've had four events so far. Um, you wrote Side Hustle Millionaire. Are you writing any more books or are you just going to stick with just one for now or? No, I'm actually writing my second book this year and I'm going to challenge myself. That's actually going to be a fictional type business related book. I like to tell stories and it also helps with the public speaking that you had mentioned. So I'm going to challenge myself, a fiction book in the business realm, because there's just not enough of those out there telling stories that could be made into a movie, perhaps. Yeah. Like the one that pops in my mind is The Go-Giver. I, I don't know if you've read that one. Yeah. That's a kind of in that same one. And then I read one, but with Greg Reed, I can't remember the name of it, but it was another, that type of, I'd say parables or stories, but I love that. Like I always joke around back in the day, I would have been the old dude around the campfire because I like to talk and just interact. And like, I think that people can relate to that even better than like, you know, the typical step by step by step by step. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Bob Berg has actually been on my show and go give her author and good guy, man. He's a, you go follow him on LinkedIn. He's very active over there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm following him. I love him. Love his stuff that, and you can read that book in like a day if yeah. you want. It, it's pretty easy. What other books besides yours, of course, would you recommend? I think there's so many books. I mean, I usually finish a book a week on at least the audio versions and I, I flip pages. Those, those books took me longer because I read the last 30 minutes of every evening on the, the, the paperbacks. But I would say that it really just depends on what you want to achieve because I think a lot of times people are always just consuming things because it's popular but I think that really when you consume books, you should be focused on the things that you want to learn, not really the necessary things that are the gaps. Like I think times people focus a lot of the things on their negative that they feel like they're, they don't have the skill and they, you know, like it's a, it's a blind spot that they have and they're trying to fill it with the knowledge, but it may not necessarily be something you're interested in. And you're wasting your time reading that. Like for me, I don't like accounting and things like that. I have a CPA. I don't like to do that stuff. So you, you could say that that would be one of my weaknesses and I should go read accounting books. Like, hell no, like, <laughs> hell no. Like that, that's not even interesting to me. So even if I read that book, I still wouldn't want to do it. So think about the things that one you're interested in Two, that. Yeah. You do want to learn that skill. Like you actually want to have that skill or that knowledge, go find those kind of books. I think it's, there's just so many to name, man. Yeah, no, no. And I, I get that. I do have a unique question I like to ask. And I think this might be one you've not heard before. So we'll see. If you, you can, you have a little option here. You can go back in time as far as you want to go or forward in time as far as you want to go. You can be there for one year, learn whatever you want from one person and then bring it back here. Where would you go and what would you learn? I think ultimately we all become the hero that we needed at a younger age. 
no matter who we are, when we become the time and the resources available, we become the hero that we needed at a younger age. And for me, I don't really care about the future because I'm already excited by the unknown, like we talked about. Now, the past, I grew up without money and I had to get through the middle class mindset is what the way I teach now is that that's what it is. That's what I grew up with. And understanding that why did I have to go get a degree? Because I wanted a six figure paycheck, you know, all these different things that we're led to believe. And it's just, it doesn't, it's not a one size fits all for everybody. And I didn't know anybody with businesses. I didn't know anybody with money. So I couldn't ask any questions. So literally everything I'd learned in entrepreneurship was from two things. As a kid, I would read magazines like Success and Entrepreneur and Forbes and things like that, trying to understand what they were talking about because I didn't have money. So mm -hmm. I said, if I read these books and magazines about money, maybe I'll understand it. And that's really what happened. And then later on, books became more prevalent. And so I've had a lot of paperback you know, mentors in life, but I didn't have coaches. I didn't have communities. I didn't have people that supported me. I mean, friends would make fun of you for doing things. You know, you're out there mowing somebody else's yard on the other side of the neighborhood. They're like, why are you mowing this yard? Your house is way over there. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, so there's a lot of times that I would like to have just had a community to support me, give me information and, and mentored me. And that's really what I built is 365 Driven is the entrepreneurship community of doing that. So there we are. That's the answer. No, and I love that because I think community is key because you always see the people say, oh, I want to be the solopreneur and do all this stuff. And I've not really found anyone that I follow or I've seen that's actually done that well and succeeded. Like, I think you need community. You need people that you can talk to. Maybe people that like you do that you're helping bring up and then people that you can reach out to and, you know, maybe ask questions of. That's big ego if you think that you can do it all yourself. And I yeah. know that it's a lot of people out there that use on Instagram, like hashtag self-made and it's a bunch of BS. It's just not true because every opportunity that you've had in life, you may have had to put in a lot of work to get the result, but that opportunity didn't present itself unless you knew somebody. It always comes back to people that you know or people that hire you. There's always the gatekeepers or other people. So the relationships that you build are actually far more valuable than the knowledge that you have a lot of times, because let's be real. We all know dumbasses out there that make a lot of money that yep. you're like, if that person could do it, I could do it. How does that person, a multimillionaire, like guys so stupid, like literally stupid mm -hmm. because they were in the right time at the right place with the right people. And they saw an opportunity and they took the action. And so thinking about that kind of stuff, it's, it really blows your mind. Yeah. No connection for me. It's totally matters. I get it. Like when I even, I fell into sales, like I, what I do now in love, I wasn't planning on doing it because I was stuck in that corporate go up in the management world and my company downsized. And this guy, his name's Charlie Mounts gave me an opportunity to do a hundred percent commission job, which at the time scared the crap out of me. Now it's like, that's no big deal, but I agree with you. I think connections are like the biggest currency you can get. Yeah. What no other, doubt. Yeah. What are the words of wisdom, thoughts, ideas do you want to like leave with my, my guests or my listeners here today? Guests. They are guests, man. They're, they don't have to be here, right? So they're guests. Hey, guests. I'm talking to you, guests. I would say that the number one thing that holds most people back is not the fear of failure, because that's the thing they tell you that they're afraid of. The fear is really of criticism. The fear is what other people might say or think about you by doing something different or outside of your norm or trying something new. Think about this, guys. We fail every single day of our lives. We always do something that just doesn't work out. Even if you go to the gym, I go to the gym seven days a week. That last set, we're pushing really hard. We don't even finish that last set. You failed. 
You know, if you're walking down the sidewalk and you stub your toe on the crack in the sidewalk, you failed. Your shoelace, case, your shoelace comes untied, you failed. You picked the bad meal and said the one that's going to get you to the body that you want to have, you failed. You didn't do that follow-up phone call, you failed. Like, we fail all the time. And we're okay with that. We're like, okay, well, I'll just do better tomorrow. Like, yeah, yeah that's, that's how we are. We get like that, right? Yep. So, so take the fear of failure off of your excuse list because it's no longer relevant. We already know that we don't fear failure. We're fear of what people will think about our failure. You know, like a good example, like I just talked about the walking on the sidewalk. Have you ever done that? Have you ever walked on the sidewalk and like stubbed your toe or something and kind of tripped up? Yep. What was the first thing that you did? Grabbed my toe. Or swore the two. How, how did you react? When I, tri- oh, like, I, like, just like most, most, well, here's what most people do they look around. Why is that? Why we're like walking and we trip and we stumble and what do we do? We look around. Why? Because we're worried that other people saw it. That's how yeah. most people live their lives. Like they avoid that. That's the purest thing that you can think of that's relevant. So the best advice I can tell you is. The sooner you can do the internal work with a coach or psychologist or psychiatrist or your friends or supportive network to get over the fear of criticism and judgment, that is the most freeing that you'll ever feel in your life. Because once you no longer care what other people say or think about you, it's almost like a superpower because people are always going to be coming at you. And the bigger that you get, the more successful you become, the the, the brighter your light shines, there's always, always, always going to be critics. Like it's inevitable. Like if to me, you shouldn't be patting yourself on the back. If you don't have any haters or naysayers or critics right now, you shouldn't be patting your, because a lot of people be like, well, I'm really nice. And everybody likes me. Like, no, no, if it just means you're obscure, it means that you're not doing anything worth noticing. And that's the hard truth. Most people don't like to admit that, but think about all the names in history that have changed the world, had the biggest impact in the world. Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, Mother Teresa, Barack Obama, like all these big name people, mm-hmm. every single one of them had haters. Every single one of them had critics. Mother Teresa had haters. I mean, come on. Yeah. Jesus Christ had haters, had murderers. Like, so what makes you think that you're going to be the first human in the history of mankind <laughs> that everybody in the world is going to love and like? It's just impossible. So therefore, it is impossible to do that. So you got to realize that. You need to get over worrying about what people think and just go do the things that you want to do, the things that you're going to improve at with enough reps. And if you could just understand that their words and their criticisms are going to happen and you should like look forward to that uncertainty again, like I can't wait to get my first hater because it means I'm finally doing something worth noticing. Yep. Like go earn those haters and have that mental shift. And it does hurt because we take those things personal for a while, but then you start to realize like you're giving them your power. It's time for you to take it back from them and go do the things that you want to do despite them. They're going to be there no matter what. You might as well go to the things that you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't want them to create your world. Because if you do that and you <laughs> let them dictate, then you're letting them create your world for you, which is not good. Absolutely, man. On your deathbed, let's say that you're fortunate to make it to your ripe old age and you're looking around at the people at your hospital room or, or your bed. The people that are surrounding you are the ones that love you and support you. They're not going to be the critics and the haters and naysayers that you keep worrying about today. They're not going to be at your funeral. So why do you keep letting them run your life? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's impactful. Agree 100%. Agree 100%. Thank you again for being on my show, Tony. 
check out his podcast. It's great. Uh, you have the event coming up in May as well. You can find you at 365 Driven. Is there anywhere else that they should look for you? Now that's the easiest way. And if you liked the episode, reach out to me on Instagram at 365 Driven. I'd love to hear from you. Just say you heard me on Joe's show and I'll know what you're talking about. Awesome. Thank you, Kim, for being on the show, Tony. And thank you all for listening to the 150K podcast, where we help take your dreams to six figures and beyond. Until next time, keep chasing your dreams and leveling up.